And we're in this series called Better Decisions and Fewer Regrets. And this is something I think almost all of us want. We want better decisions and fewer regrets, and we certainly want it for the people in our family. Now, here's the caveat as we jump into this today, as we have in the last couple of weeks. As we talk about better decisions and fewer regrets, for this to be helpful, it can't be helpful for somebody else. It's just the way this works. You can't just hope your spouse gets it or your kids gets it or your mom watching online gets it. For it to take hold, we have to internalize this for ourselves. And I know this because I've been thinking about this content for weeks now. And until I'm willing to work on it in my life, I can't help anyone else with it. Now, as we think about better decisions and fewer regrets, one of the things that I think most of us have in common is our love for story. Don't we all just love a good story? You get a little bit of vacation time and maybe you're that person that finds the perfect book and you just bury yourself in the story of a book and you don't put it down until it's finished. Maybe for you, it's a movie with my boys growing up. I mean, Lord of the Rings was a movie we loved to watch together and then we'd battle in our living room. That was kind of our thing. For you, it's a comedy. I mean, you love the stories on The Office because they're so entertaining or it's a drama or it's a comedy, whatever your thing is. And maybe even your family, you love to tell the stories of those most embarrassing moments and they go on and on and on. And here's the thing, when you get to be a little bit older parents, your kids won't tell the stories of you doing the best things. They'll tell your most embarrassing moments like, oh, I remember dad forgot to zip up his fly on stage. Remember that? Isn't that all funny? And my whole family laughs at me. That's a story they love to tell. But we we tell stories because we love stories, embarrassing ones and funny ones. And it's not obvious um, to us in the moment, but Every decision we make, we're writing the story of our lives. It's why we love to dip back into history and tell what's happened in the past and about our parents and our grandparents. And we love to do this, but what we forget is our story is always tied to current events. What's happening in the moment eventually becomes our story. And sometimes we love to tell that, and sometimes we just want to hide what we did in our current events. Sometimes our stories are wonderful and sometimes they're painful. And what determines whether it's wonderful to tell or you want to hide it is our decisions in the moment because we're always writing the story of our lives one decision at a time. And this is, this is why we're talking about better decisions and fewer regrets because I think almost all of us want fewer regrets along the way. And one of the things that we overlook in, in our world is there's a huge connection between good questions and good decisions. That when you ask good decisions, questions, it leads you to better decisions down the road. And we've just been asking this. And what we said is that if we would ask and then we'd answer honestly and then we'd act on the honest part of our lives, our lives would move in a better direction. And in this series, there's five questions that we're working through that the series is built on. And I'm just telling you, if you would ask these five questions in any decision you make in your life and you'd pay attention and act on it, your life would be better and you would have fewer regrets. That doesn't mean your life would be perfect. It doesn't even mean your life would be easier, but it would be better and there'd be fewer regrets. And the challenge is, it really depends on us as individuals And here's the other hard part about this series is we also realize that we're not the only people impacted by our decisions. I mean, some of you have those little eyes that are looking up to you and they don't even realize it, but they're counting on you. 
They're counting on you to make good decisions right now for them and for the people in your family or in your business or in your church. And you know this. There are people you're going to impact in your life that you're never going to meet by your decisions. There are generations of grandkids and great caring kids you may never meet. But you can impact them positively with their decisions or you can impact them negatively by the heritage that you pass down in your family. It's why in week one, I asked everyone in our church to memorize this simple passage that we've talked about a lot along the way. It's from Proverbs 27. Solomon brings this to us. He says, the prudent see danger and take refuge. And prudent just means you're wise, you're crafty, you're smart. They see danger coming. Whatever danger is and they take refuge. They hide. They do something about it. But the simple, they keep going and they pay a penalty. And I love this idea about simple. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're dumb. It does not mean you couldn't be a CEO of a company or large and in charge. But it's a person that's not wise. You can be, have a high IQ but not be wise. They see danger and they just keep going. This is a powerful idea because when we take this question and add it to these five questions that we're talking about, what it does is it quiets the sales associate in our head. And you know the sales associate in your head that wants you to buy faster, go faster, make decisions. You have to see her or date him or go in that place or take out more loans, whatever it might be. And these questions that we're talking about, it helps us see past just the moment and see the danger that we could be making through the decisions in our lives. So question one that Andy brought us last week, and I thought it was a great question, was the integrity question. And the integrity question is this. The integrity question is, am I being honest with myself? And this is an interesting thing, because we can go, well, yeah, kind of. Yeah, mostly. But then Andy um, gave us a caveat to that. He said, are you being honest with yourself really? And if you missed last week's message, you should go back online and watch it. It was so good. I watched it over and over just to make sure I got it. That we should ask the question, am I being honest with with myself really? Even if it makes me feel bad. You see, we live in a culture, and I kind of feel this. I don't like to feel bad. I don't like to feel like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But when I'm willing to be honest, I can step back and make better decisions. And any decision we make is writing the story of our lives. Today, the question we're going to ask is centered around what we call the legacy question. And the legacy question is what, what story do I want to tell today, but also someday? Because the decisions I make and you make in this season of my life right now, whether it's a business deal a relationship thing, a moral decision, a family decision, a church decision, will have an outcome of a story. And what story do you want to tell? Do you want to be the hero in your story? Or do you want to be the villain? Do you want to be the good example? Or do you want to be the bad example? Because we all tell stories of good examples and bad examples. Someday when you're sitting with your kids or your grandkids, do you, will you have to hide from them the story of your life? Or we'd be able to tell like, hey, I didn't get it all right and I made some mistakes, but really I made some decisions along the way that now you're the benefactor of. And here's the challenging part and the good part. You and I, we get to decide the story of our lives because we, we write the story of our lives one decision at a time every day. I mean, every day we wake up and we make these decisions and then we run into super critical decisions and they become a permanent part of our story. 
And the outcome and the consequences are part of our story too. And here's what motivates me for this. And I've said this on week one. I just don't want you to have too many more consequences. I don't want to have more consequences and I don't want my children to have more hard consequences. I want you to write a great story. Like, so imagine this, your boss walks into your office tomorrow and he asks you to lie about something for a sales account to get something done, right? And your boss puts the pressure on you. Now you can tell the story someday of, yeah, so I decided to do what my boss said and I lied and I cheat and I sold it and then somebody found out and I got fired and my boss blamed me and now I was fired and I was a liar, a cheat and I might be in trouble. That's not a very good story. You know what's a better story? My boss walked in and asked me to lie and cheat and I didn't lie and cheat and he fired me. But I didn't lie and cheat. You know what that is? That's a better story with probably a better outcome along the way. What story do you want to tell even when the stories are hard, right? Maybe a story for you is, listen, I I met this guy, I met this gal and I had some standards for who I was going to date, who I was going to attach my heart to. You know, one of them was I wanted to be in the same path in our faith walk and integrity walk and kind of want the same dreams and visions for who we were going to be together. But this guy, this gal, they didn't really have those same, same things. But, you know, you know, he just smelled so good. You know, we tell that story all the time, right? She was just so her blue eyes. I mean, who cares what she believed? She had those blue eyes that just knocked me out. And two years later, you wake up and you realize I've wasted two years of my life. And my mama told me, and my friends told me, and Matt told me, and I'm now, I've wasted two years of my life. That's not a good story. You could tell a better story than that. You're a college kid, and semesters are coming around, and you're studying because you got tests in the morning, and your buddies come over, and they're like, hey, we're going out. It's dollar beer nights, and dollar beer nights are so much fun in college. You shouldn't do that, but they are so much fun in college, right? And you're like, you know what? Tonight I'm staying in because I got a test tomorrow. And the next time you have another big test, You stay home and study for the test and you stay to the test every time you have a big test and in two or three or four years, you know what you have? You got a college degree. It's a pretty good story, isn't it? See, we're writing the stories of our life one decision at a time. And this part of this series is where we get to just think, how do I pause? How do I pause? In the midst of all the fog and all the emotion going on and ask the question, what story do I want to tell because I'm telling it one decision at a time it's tough sometimes maybe maybe the story for you is um lost my job and that's hard I don't know about this for women but for men certainly that's a point of pride for us it's kind of how we see ourselves and I lost my job and I got kind of low and I started drinking and I drank more and more and more and then now I've lost my job I'm not looking for a job and I've created an addiction in my life that's not a great story, is it? Versus I lost my job and it was super hard, but I decided to get some help and stay focused and talk to some people and you know, let God direct me. That's a better story. Maybe a story that you've run into, and this is hard, I understand this, is I was so attracted to her. You were so attracted to him. And I felt drawn in their direction and, and then I found out there was another person in the relationship and it was a spouse. And I knew I shouldn't go in that direction, but I did anyway, and now I've broken up a marriage. 
And now their children go from one house to the other every other weekend, and it's kind of chaos, and I'm in the middle of that story, and that's not the best story I wanted to tell, because now it don't, doesn't only involve me, it involves other people. And the reason all these things are so difficult for all of us, and me included, because I have faced all these things, and I'll tell you a story about my life in a few minutes, is that in all these decisions, we are wrapped up in all this emotion, aren't we? And when you're emotional, it's so hard to pause because you're foggy. And, you know, again, he's so cute and you love him. And that shiny truck is so attractive. And the bigger house with the swimming pool, I've got to have. But what we miss is we're writing the story of our lives. You've got a deadline at work. And if you don't make enough quota, you might lose your job. And so you're just going to do whatever it takes to make your quota. And the pressures of life, it makes us make bad decisions on the way. But the immediate is always dangerous. It's emotion versus the story we want to tell. And isn't it true for a lot of us, and I would say probably all of us, that our worst decisions were fueled by something with strong emotional appeal? Isn't that true? The worst decisions I have ever made as a human being in my life were driven by emotion. For some people, they say, hey, that first marriage that just was a train wreck, I got into that because it was emotional. That purchase that I had to have and I went into too much debt, I was driven by emotion. It was so appealing. What I ate, what I bought, I moved in. I said I'd never move in with somebody until I was married. And then I met him and I just moved in. I wasn't even thinking about it. It was just so emotional. It had nothing to do with you know, cutting my rent in half. It really had to do with emotion. Well, what do you do with that? It's so interesting because this shows up in the normal secular world. Psychologists call this focalism. And focalism is when you get so focused on something, it's hard to see anything else rationally. And you get so focused that you just justify all your behavior. And we have all been there. And in an emotionally charged decision-making environments, we think in terms of options, not stories. What are my options? What can I get away with? How can I satisfy my desires and appetites? Not what's this story going to look like in a year? What's this story going to look like in 10 years. I want to just give you a little tip for all of us. And I, I'm still navigating this in my life. But anytime you're in an emotionally in charge environment where you're making decisions, pay way, 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 way more attention to red flags than green lights. Red flags pop up, listen to them. I'm telling you, someone a little wiser, a little bit older, someone you respect says, hey, Slow down, pay attention to it. And it's not that, you know, he's not the one or she's not the right one or you shouldn't move into, you know, the new house or you shouldn't have that. It just means slow down. It may be a good thing what you're thinking, but slow down. Make sure, pause, ask a trusted friend and consider your story. The story that you may tell someday. Now, it's so interesting this is not a modern day problem. This is not something that's happened in the last hundred years for us. This is something that's been going on for thousands of years. In fact, when you open the scriptures, you can read about people that struggle with this along the way. One of the prime examples is Joseph. 
And, you know, Joseph from the Old Testament, for those of you that are just a little bit older, Donnie Osmond, the multicolored dream coat, Joseph, you know, that whole thing. And maybe you know the story of Joseph, maybe you don't, but we're going to walk down this, this story together because it's so profound when it comes into making decisions. Um, 1800 BC, almost 4,000 years ago, Joseph was one of his father's, Jacob's favorite sons. In fact, he was his dad's favorite son. And one of the reasons he was his dad's favorite son is he was the son of his dad's favorite wife, which is really weird. Don't go down that trail too far, but that's why his dad liked him so much. And his dad favored him. He gave him things. He gave him positions of importance. And his other brothers, they were so jealous of Joseph and they could not stand it until one day. And just so you know, Joseph would once in a while give them advice they didn't ask for. And that just infuriated them. One day, um, they looked at their little brother and they couldn't stand it anymore and they decided, well, let's just, let's kill him. Let's kill him. And then they decided, no, maybe we should sell him. So now they're in this um, argument amongst themselves. Should we kill him or should we sell him? Should we kill him? Should we sell him? If you think you have family problems, just come on. If you think you have family problems, probably your family has not conspired to kill you or sell you. If they have God bless you. I hope it works out for you. I don't know what to do with that. But should we kill him? Should we sell him? So finally, they decided to sell him. They sold him, sold him to some slave traders. And all of a sudden, his brothers had made a decision. They had made a decision that they would have to cover up now for the rest of their lives. So they'd have to go back and tell their dad, hey, um, Joseph was killed. And they'd keep the secret for life. In fact, this is what happened to them. They became liars for life. You don't want to be a liar for life. But what happens is when we make bad decisions, we have a tendency to be a liar for life because in a moment we decide on something and then we spend the rest of our time covering up and hoping people don't find out and we're so emotional and there's a reason why we do it, but we don't want, to, we don't want anybody to know. So now we're liars for life. Now, Joseph was sold to these slave, uh, sl slave traders. Eventually he winds up in Egypt where he sold to Potiphar. He was an Egyptian general commander, a man of great importance. Now here's what's so interesting. Now Joseph, who was you know, a rich man's family, a favorite son of his dad's, he had everything he ever wanted. Now he's a slave. And he could have reacted. He could have been bitter. He could have been angry. You know, he, he could have just gone off in the corner and you know, curled up in a ball and gave up on life. That would have been a reaction. But instead, Joseph responds thoughtfully. And we said this a couple weeks ago, that a response is always a decision. I can react and I can be angry and I can be bitter and I can let you have it. I can react and I can get on Facebook and I can just try and blow the, your world up. Or I can respond, step back and decide, okay, who do I want to be in this moment? And in this moment, this kid that had been rich, a favorite of his father's. Now he's a slave. He's been sold twice. Now he's lost his identity. He decides, I am going to be the best slave a person could ever be. And it's a little bit anti-American. Like he just accepts who he is and where he's at. And remember this, Joseph is where he's at at no fault of his own. Joseph is where he's at in this kind of miserable place at no fault of his own. And this is where you and Joseph maybe relate today because you may be sitting here or listening online going, listen, okay, Matt, my life is a mess, but it's not because of my decisions that I made. It's because of my parents or my husband or my ex or my boyfriend, whoever, my boss, whoever it is. And that may be true. That may be totally true. But you know this, where your story goes from here 
is how you respond to what's happened in your life. And Joseph decides, I am not going down this road of misery anymore. I'm going to be the best version of myself I can be. I'm not going to give up. And so Joseph starts being a great slave, serving, working, carrying weight, being responsible. And Potiphar notices. And Potiphar, who's this rich general, puts Joseph in charge of his whole house because of his response to his circumstances. And now Joseph is writing a story worth telling that he wants to tell his kids. I was kidnapped. I was sold twice. I was a victim. I was ripped off. But I am choosing not to live like a victim. And oh my goodness, for you know this, the current times we live in, what if just us, forget everybody else out there, because we can talk about everybody else, how, how they see the world, but just us. What if everybody in this room and online today just said, we are not going to live as a victim. We're not going to go down those roads where woe is me. That's what Joseph did. And it put him in an incredible place. Now, here, here's where it goes in a weird direction. There's another change in Joseph's life. Um, Potiphar's wife, and you probably know this, but if you don't, Potiphar's wife, she becomes attracted to this young, handsome man. And it's not his fault. He didn't ask her to, but she wants him to be her lover and have an affair. And Joseph starts like, no, 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 no. And this is not just a moral decision for Joseph. This is life or death because if he has an affair with Potiphar's wife, he's going to have his head cut off. And what Joseph decides to do, he decides to consider his story, but he also says to Potiphar's wife, would you consider your story? And it's like ahead of time, he had practiced his story out loud before she ever made these advances on him. And I want to read, I want to paraphrase kind of what he says to her, and then I'll read verbatim what he says to her. But I'm going to paraphrase the first part. He, he says to her, and it's like he practiced this ahead of time. He said, Mrs. Potiphar, I came to this land as a slave and had no rights and no future. Your husband purchased me. In other words, I got ripped off. I became a slave. I did my best to serve him and you. And he goes on. Through hard work and God's help, I've gained the trust of your household. And he's put me in charge of the entire household. Mrs. Potiphar, my story is getting better all the time. And then let me read you exactly what he wrote. He said this in Genesis 39. He said, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Now just pause for a minute. This was a day and age 4,000 years ago where women were treated like they were objects. So this is the way it was 4,000 years ago. So you just got to run through that filter. Nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. What Joseph is saying is, Mrs. Potiphar, have you thought about your story? Do you want your story, the wife of Mr. General Potiphar, the rich, powerful you know, general in the Egyptian army? Do you want part of your story is that you had an affair with a lowly Hebrew slave? I mean, you people don't even like the Hebrew people. Why would you do this? And it's like Joseph just has this wisdom at a young age to step back and say, in light of all this, in light of what God has done for me to this point, the fact that you're married, ma'am, and that I am blessed, in light of all that, look what he says, it's amazing. How? How then could I do such a wicked thing in sin 
against God. And again, we talk about this a lot. This little word sin in our world, our culture, it just freaks us out because when we think about sin, we think about condemnation, getting thrown out the back door of a church. We think about guilt, and that's probably true. We think about needing forgiveness, and that's probably true. But Joseph is talking about writing a story right now, God's story, his story, which are one and the same. I don't want to go down a road that dishonors God, myself, you, Mrs. Potiphar, or Mr. Potiphar, who's been so good to me. I have a story that I want to tell. And really, Joseph has two stories he could tell. The The first story looks like this. It's your husband. He gave me an opportunity I never dreamed would come my way after I was sold as a slave. You remember that little point, Mrs.? Yeah, remember that? So I was faithful to him. And the God who's been watching out for me the whole time. It's a good story. The other story is this. Your husband. He gave me an opportunity I'd never dreamed would come my way. So I took advantage of his trust and had an affair with his wife. Which story do I want to tell if I'm Joseph? It's not even a, it's not even a choice, right? It's a no-brainer. But in the middle of that emotionally charged moment, it would have been easy for him to make a bad Decision, And this is where it's so applicable to all of us. You might be in the middle of some decisions today. Or they might come tomorrow or next month. But they're going to be there. And you're going to have a choice. Don't want to tell a good story? Or don't want to tell a bad story? And see, Joseph does the right thing. And here's the challenge in this moment. The right thing doesn't happen to Joseph. You know the story. Um, his, Mrs. Potiphar, she gets all bent out of shape. She gets really hurt, wounded through this. And she tells her husband, Joseph tried to rape me. And she set him up. Well, Potiphar, he sells or gives or throws Joseph in the Egyptian dungeon, which was a terrible, miserable place. And now Joseph's story has gotten hard again. That may be where you're at. Where Hey, I, Matt, listen, I'm, this is fine, but you need to know I'm not where I am because of my decisions, but someone else's. Hang on. Because Joseph's story wasn't over. And I'm telling you, no matter how good or how bad your story is right now, your story is not over. The question is, what story do you want to tell? At the end of the day, what story do you want to tell? Because it's all about how he responds in this moment. So Joseph, he's in prison. And it's a terrible place to be. But he decides what he's decided all along. I'm just going to be the right person and I'm going to respond well, and so he just starts working hard as a prisoner in the Egyptian prison. Every day he wakes up, he works hard, he does his things, and slowly he wins the favor of the prison warden. It's ridiculous how this goes. And he's like, that's a responsible guy. I can count on him. Here's some authority. You're responsible. I can count on you. Here's some more authority. Until Joseph is in charge of the entire prison where he has authority and some respect and his life has gotten a little bit better than just being the lowest lowliest prisoner in the world and he can help people that's the other thing he decides to help other people he interprets some dreams he leverages who he is for other people until one day pharaoh i mean like the pharaoh the king of egypt he has some weird dreams and they start trying to find someone to interpret these dreams and somebody mentions hey there's this dude down in the prison that interprets dreams. And Pharaoh's like, bring him up here. And Pharaoh tells him this dream. And Joseph interprets it. He says, Pharaoh, I can interpret your dream, but God can. Here's what your dream means. There's going to be seven great years of grain harvest in Egypt. 
And that was such a big deal because in those days, bread was such an important staple of your diet because there just wasn't enough meat to go around. So bread was a big deal and grain produced bread. And so they just needed lots and lots of grain. And through this dream, it was revealed to Pharaoh through Joseph that there's going to be just more grain than you've ever seen. And then after that seven years, there's going to be another seven years of incredible famine, an incredible drought where people are going to start to starve. Pharaoh, that's what your dream means. That's what Joseph told him is great. And then Joseph did something actually in the moment that would seem a little foolish. He gave Pharaoh some unsolicited advice. You know, just a lowly prisoner. I mean, he's a big deal in prison, but to Pharaoh, that's nothing. And he starts to give Pharaoh some advice. And when he gets, starts to give him this advice, everybody in the courtroom that was there listening gasped because you don't give Pharaoh any advice that he hasn't asked for, no matter who you are. And they just wait to see how is Pharaoh going to execute, torture, destroy this young man's life. But Pharaoh listens. And this is what Joseph says. He says, Pharaoh, because this famine's coming, every day somebody needs to wake up thinking about grain. Every day someone needs to be thinking how we're going to gather grain, save grain, and feed people. Every day. And it has to be somebody that's smart and trustworthy. And again, everybody in the room is waiting for Pharaoh to put Joseph to death. And this is what Pharaoh says. He says, can we find anyone like this man, Joseph, one in whom the spirit of God is. And everybody's like, what? You're, you're listening to him? Yeah. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You, Joseph, the lowly prisoner, shall be in charge of my palace. There it is. And all my people. You're to submit to your, and they're to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph, I'm going to make you in this day the prime minister of all of Egypt. And Joseph decides to go to work. Just like he has done since the moment his brothers sold him into slavery. And he oversees seven amazing years of grain harvest. I mean, there's so much grain, they hardly know what to do with it. And then at the end of the seventh year, famine strikes. And people begin to starve and Joseph starts to, through his orders, dole out all this grain and he fed the people of Egypt and he fed the people of the world. And eventually when his brothers came knocking because they were starving where they were at and asking for grain in Egypt because they knew Egypt had grain, he had a chance to feed his own family. But when they walked through the gates and walls of Egypt, they didn't know Joseph was who he was. They probably thought he was long gone and dead. At the very least, they were still telling that lie. He'd been killed, he'd been killed, he'd been killed. Joseph sees his brothers enter in, essentially begging for grain from what he was in charge of, but they didn't recognize him. And in this moment, Joseph has all the power in the world. He has all the authority and he decides as opposed to take vengeance to give mercy. And he decides I'm going to refuse to react in this moment. And Joseph just essentially does what he's done all his life. I'm not going to be like my brothers. I'm not going to be like the people I do not want to be like. I'm not going to take what they did and multiply and make it even uglier. I have all the power. I have all the ability to revenge. I can get my way. But if I do that, it would be a terrible story. 
And if Joseph would have done that, I doubt we'd ever be telling his story 4,000 years later today. We would never have heard it. It would have just been something that kind of vanished off into thin air. But this is what Joseph decided. He decided against the gravitational pull of bitterness. It's a choice. It's a decision. And he knew that bitterness, no matter how much he'd been ripped off by his brothers, was a path to a worse life. He is telling a better story. You have an opportunity to resist the gravitational pull of bitterness. This is where the, it gets hard for some of us. Because I know you, you might say, well, Matt, let me come tell you about my dad. Let me come tell you about my ex. Let me come tell you about my pastor that I once you know, went to church under. I know. Let me ask you that. Do they sell you into slavery? Try and kill you? Lie? For years put you in prison? Joseph resisted that he did not want to get owned by that. And you don't want that for your kids or your marriage or your spouse because bitterness is never a good story. He decided... That he wanted a story worth telling. And that's why we're telling it today. But it was in the moment. It was, it was in the moment when he made those momentary decisions that told his lifelong story. And he said no to vengeance. No to bitterness. And he rescued Egypt. He got a chance to rescue his family. Reconnect to his father. If you've never read this story, you should go home and read it today. It's an amazing story. It's a good story. But it was based on one decision. After one hard thing after another, one decision at a time. Which brings us to this place. What kind of story do you want to tell? What kind of story do you want to tell? I, I ran into this a whole bunch of years ago. Um, we had just started Lifehouse. Um, I was still in my 30s. Lifehouse was starting to grow. We were three or 400 people deep. Um, I had an opportunity to go to some conferences for growing churches. And so I hopped on a plane and I flew down to Orlando, Florida, attended a church growth conference. It was incredible. Um, hopped on the plane to go home um, where my wife and my three little kids were waiting on me. And I sat down in the aisle seat. And this is every time I sit down in an airplane seat, I just pray that no one sits next to me. I mean, no one. I need the butt room. I need the shoulder room. I don't want to be close to other people. It's just my thing. And, um, you know, the, it's like time for us to take off. And I think I have a seat next to me that is open. Thank you, Jesus. And at the last moment, this woman gets on the plane and starts walking down the aisle towards me. And she's a year or two older than me, but she was a woman that caught my attention and probably some of the other attention of the men on the plane. Now, I told the story to my wife that I'm about to tell you. And after I told my wife the story I'm about to tell you and describe this woman, my wife, Tina, called her a hoochie mama. That's what she called her. So if that offends you, you can email my wife, not me, because I didn't come up with that, at Tina Brown at LifehousePeople.com. Let her know your thoughts. That would be great. But I'm telling you, this woman walked down the aisle, and there was just something about her. And wow, you know, wow, wow. She sits down right next to me. We strike up a conversation, which is okay. Um, somewhere along the flight towards the end, I got up and went to the restroom, came back, and I sat down, and I bumped into her, and I said, hey, sorry, I didn't mean to bump you. And she, she said, oh, 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 honey, you can touch me anytime you want. I mean, I literally, I didn't know if I had to jump out the plane, 
call my wife, go hide in the bathroom. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Um, it was weird, but it was one of those things, right? Um, so finally the plane landed and I, we had a little bit more conversation. I got off, she got off and we're getting our luggage out of that place you pull your carry-ons out of. And as I'm taking my luggage up the walkway, she says, hey, do you want to go get a drink? I was all by myself. I had no accountability. I could do whatever I wanted to. But I had been coached and taught one of the people was my own father. That there are certain situations you need to be prepared ahead of time. Because when the moment hits, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. And listen, she may have been innocent and just wanted to have a drink and a conversation. But I am a man, man and here's little news. All men are pigs and I am one of them. And we will do the dumbest things when we are, you know, lustful. Our appetites run wild. And I knew I was capable of that. And I know I'm still capable of that. 100% capable of that. By the way, there's two morals of the story with this. One is you need to have an answer ahead of time. The other is if you're this hot and sexy, you just got to be on your guard all the time. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm kidding. I just, sorry. But, But what I thought about ahead of time, is what it might cost me if I ever run into this situation. I've made some mistakes in my life. If you hang around here, you'll, you'll hear enough about them. But um, I had a wife. And what was on the line in that moment could have been, I'm not sure, but could have been the honor of my wife that I would lose for her. And the respect of my children if I decide to cheat on our family. And I could have crumbled a growing church that has turned out to be like one of the most amazing gifts of my life. And the honor of my friends and the respect of my friends and my own relationship with God. And God wouldn't have given up on me, but I would have just really jacked that up and hijacked. There was so much on the line in that moment. And I thought about that ahead of time because I was told by people I trusted, you need to think about that ahead of time. And one of my rules is I'm not going off alone with anybody, any woman, any time. And I just looked at her and I was tempted. You just need to know there was temptation there. I, I looked at her and said, no, I have to get home to my wife and my kids. And I picked up my bag and I ran like a little chicken through the airport as fast as I could to, to the car. But what hung in the balance for me in that moment was my story. And I still would have been loved and forgiven if if I had blown my life up. But what hung in the balance is the story that I was going to tell. One decision at a time that I was choosing. And if I would have not chosen that, that choice in that moment, it probably would have made me a liar for life. Even if people found out, I'd be looking for ways to cover it up and hide it and make excuses. And it's not really my fault because that's a propensity we all have in our lives. What's at stake in the moments we have to make these decisions? And this is so important, whether it's a relationship thing, it's a financial thing, it's a parenthood thing, it's a professional thing, it's a moral thing. What happens in the moment writes the story of our lives. And if you're here, and I totally am aware this feeling might be in the room or online, like, Matt, I have already made those decisions. You know this. When you find yourself in a hole, just stop digging first. 
and start making better decisions. God can redeem your story, but you have to start making better decisions immediately. You have to find some people that not, aren't emotionally engaged and are upside down in the way they see the world and say, hey, if you are me, what would you do? Somebody you trust, somebody that loves God, somebody that has lived wisely in their life and just ask for some perspective. Stop digging and make better decisions because we are writing the story of our life right now. And if you are making any decision in any way in your life today, and I don't care if you're 15, you're 25, you're 50, you're 90 years old, I just would love for you to think about the legacy question. And I'll decide on a story that I'm proud to tell. I'm going to decide to tell a story I'm proud of, not embarrassed by. I'll make some mistakes. I'll stumble along the way. But I want to tell a good story about my life. So can I ask you a question? What story do you want to tell? What story do you want to tell? This question has the ability with God's grace to help us avoid so many regrets. Can't change our past regrets, but it can change our future regrets. And it's never too late to start writing a better story, one decision at a time. And if you're not a Christian and you're here trying to figure this faith out or you're curious, this is good to do. I mean, you should just do this because you won't regret it. So just Take that from me, right? But if you are a Christian, it's not just about, hey, I want to make good decisions for good decisions. If you're a Christian, we live by a moral compass. We, we live by the standard of love. Go back to my decision on that airplane in that airport that day. I had to decide, do I love my wife, my children, my church, my God, more than I love my own desires? I had to decide. And I chose the better may have got lucky, but I chose the better. If you're a Christian, we make our choices because we love God and we love people. And that, that woman that asked me out for that drink, I didn't want to dishonor her. Looking back, I'm so glad I didn't have to ask her to forgive me because I dishonored her too and treated her like an object. If you're a Christian, this is what we do. And it's hard and it's challenging. Oh, but it's worth it. And God will get in it with you and he will help you because he loves you. One decision at a time we write the stories of our lives. Would you commit and ask yourself, am I willing to write a good story? In just a second we're going to sing a song that just goes right along with this. It's about building our life on Jesus' love. And what I hope you feel from me today more than anything else is that God is opening a door for us to build a life that we're not regretful of. This is not about shame or condemnation, no matter where you're at. This is about God offering us a chance of a better life and a better story in him. So as we sing that, I pray that that would just resonate in you. But before we do that, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for the story of Joseph. As he shows us what the example of bad circumstances happening to a person and responding well how the outcome can tell a great story I pray for everybody in this room everybody watching online my own kids wherever they are this morning that they would ask this question what story do we all want to tell and we would be able to write a good story that would honor you and the people in our lives 
and we'd be full of your love and grace. Give us the strength to do it and the courage to walk through this, God. Thanks for your love. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.